about this morning. Just a reminder, all of our sermons are online. If there's any of these that you want to go back and listen to from any of these series, we've got several books we've, we've, we've taught and preached through from beginning to end. Those are all on the website, enterprisebaptist.church. Or you can pull up whatever podcasting app you use on your, on your phone and search for Enterprise Baptist Church. And, and all those are there. If you ever miss one Sunday or you want to catch up on some of these, uh, we've covered a lot of good stuff. And Esther, up to this point, I'll give you a brief recap just to refresh everybody's mind. Or maybe, maybe you hadn't been here as we've been going through the book of Esther. But, but God's people are, are in a foreign land. They've been dispersed because the Babylonians had come in. They were disobedient. And God, uh, God most of them left Jerusalem. They were, they were punished. They were handed over to their enemies. And, and the Jews were all over the land. And, and some of these Jews ended up in Susa. That's where this story takes place. It's, it's a it's a it's a place of the Medo Persians where the king resided, and several Jewish people were there, and, and one of those Jewish people was a girl by the name of Esther, and the king, uh, long story short, got rid of the queen that he had, and he needed to choose a new queen, and so they had this competition for all of the beautiful girls in the kingdom uh, to come before the king, and the king would get to choose who he wanted to be his new queen. And they had to go through all these crazy beauty treatments and get just right. And when it was Esther's turn before the go before the king, the king really liked Esther a lot. She was more beautiful than anybody. And everybody that Esther encountered, uh, she gained th- their favor because God was obviously with her. And the book doesn't, doesn't mention God. The book of Esther nowhere does. But as these events unfold, it's clear that God has a hand in placing people where they need to go. And it's not simply a coincidence that Esther has become queen in a foreign land. And of all people to become queen, here's this young Jewish girl. Well, the king elevated this guy by the name of Haman to a position of, 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 of power, one of, his, one of his highest officials. And, and all of the people were supposed to bow and honor Haman, but, but Esther's cousin Mordecai, who had helped raise her, he did not do it. And Haman found out about this and found out that Mordecai was a Jew, and he was furious and said, I'm killing all the Jews. I'm killing Mordecai, and I'm killing all of his people. When Mordecai heard this, he sent word to the queen and said, Queen, here's what's going on. You, you, you got to speak up. You, you're our only hope. You, you're a Jew too. You're going to be found out. You're going to die with the rest of us. You need to do something. And that's what we saw in Esther 4. And Esther was hesitant because there was a law in the land, a law of the Medes and Persians. That, that you could not go before the king if he did not call for you to come in before him. And she told Mordecai, I don't know if I can do it because he ain't called for me. If I, go, if I go before him, I might die. And Mordecai said, you got to do it. I mean, maybe right now you're in this position for this, for this, for this cause so that you can speak up and save, save your people. For such a time as this, he said, you've, you've been placed here. And Esther said, all right, Mordecai, I'll do it. If I perish, I perish, but I'm going to take this stand. I'm going to stand up for my people. I'm going to go before the king. So she told Mordecai, she said, look, you get all your folks together, y'all fast. I'm going to get all my folks together. We're going to fast. And even though it doesn't say that they were praying and seeking the Lord there, I believe it's safe for us to assume that that's exactly what occurred because that's often what occurs with fasting in the Old Testament. And so Esther had made her decision she was going before King Ahasuerus. 
And that's what we see here in the passage today. So let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Father God, we come to you, and we thank you for your good word. And God, I pray that you would just hide me behind the cross, that you take away any nerves that I have to speak today, that you take away any pride that I have, dear Lord. God, everything we do today is about you and for your glory. And so, God, I pray that your word is lifted up today. God, I pray that people would hear your word and not, not me, dear Lord. I'm just a man. I don't know why you choose me, but dear Lord, you do. And so I pray, God, that I'd be faithful to preach and teach, but everything for your glory. And so, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be among us today. Maybe there's something we're going to read in this passage that we need to hear. So help us to hear it and to be free of our worries and distractions. God, we come in here and we got stuff on our mind. We're worried about stuff that happened last week. We're thinking about stuff that'll happen next week. But God, I pray that in these next 30, 40 minutes, that you just really would bind the enemy, that you would help your spirit to, to get our minds focused on what your word says, that you can speak to us and work in our life, God. We want to come to you and seek you and grow in you. And I pray that these words would help us to do that today. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Esther 5, verse 1 on the third day, Esther dressed up in her royal clothing and stood in the inner courtyard of the palace facing it. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the royal courtroom facing its entrance. As soon as the king saw Queen Esther standing in the courtyard, she won his approval. The king extended the gold scepter in his hand toward Esther, and she approached and touched the tip of the scepter. So the queen had a tough choice to make. We saw that at the end of chapter 4. If I go before the king, he has not called me. If I go before his inner courtyard, I may die on the spot. But God was with Esther. And so she got ready after three days, after all the fasting had taken place. She put on a royal outfit and to the inner courtyard she goes in the presence of the king. And you may remember in chapter 4, she said, only if the king extends his gold scepter, is it okay to approach the king? If you go before him and he doesn't ex extend that gold scepter, it's, it's death for you. And so she goes, no doubt very nervous, afraid to approach the king, but yet when he sees her, as has been the case throughout the story of Esther, she wins the king's approval, and there he extends the gold scepter. I can imagine there was probably a sigh of relief for Esther to know that the king was approving of her to come before him even though she, she hasn't been summoned. You know, in some sense, perhaps we could make some connection here between the king and between God. Sometimes perhaps we may be afraid to go before God because of sin that's been going on in our life because of fear, because of knowing who we are and just how rotten we are and how evil we are. And perhaps there are times that we are too ashamed or too afraid to go before the God of heaven and earth. But we need not fear to go before God. We need not fear to stand before Him and to go boldly before Him. Not because we are not sinners. Not because we have not done great evil, because we have. And we don't deserve to stand in the presence of the king. 
And if God had chosen to, to strike us dead because of our sin, he would be right to do so because he is a just and a righteous God and we are an evil and sinful people. But yet, praise the Lord that while we were still enemies, the book of Romans says, that he sent Jesus Christ to die on us so that we could be reconciled to him. Now, God doesn't extend a gold scepter to us, but he does extend a wooden cross to us to say, you can come before me. And Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, tells us of this exact truth that we need to hold on to. Hebrews 4, 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. Boy, what a powerful statement. Let us, let us go before that throne of grace with boldness. And how can we do such a thing? Because we have Jesus Christ who's given his life for us. And so when we are in those times of weakness, when we are in those times that we are afraid, when we are in those times of sin, and we are in those times of fear, let us not be afraid to go before the Lord because we can go before the Lord boldly through Jesus Christ. And Esther had done so. She had gone before the king, and the king had accepted her into his presence. And let's see what the king says in verse 3. What is it, Queen Esther? The king asked her. Whatever you want, even to half the kingdom, will be given to you. If it pleases the, the king, Esther replied, may the king and Haman come today to the banquet I have prepared for them. The king commanded, hurry and get Haman so we can do as Esther has requested. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. So the king is pleased that Esther has come. And he says, what do you want, Queen Esther? What can I do for you? Even up to giving you half the kingdom, you just name it and I'll do it for you. Now, we could take that literally. It may, it may be intended literally. Maybe he literally was going to give her half of the kingdom. But I think that that's just a, a figure of speech. We see a similar language even in the New Testament in Mark chapter 6. Speaking of John the Baptist. Now, uh, King Herod, like John the Baptist, but, but one of King Herod's wives, Herodias, well, that was, that, was, that was King Herod's brother's wife. And John the Baptist said, hey, this ain't right. This is your brother's wife. She shouldn't be your wife. Well, Herodias didn't like that. And one day, Herodias' daughter did something that pleased the king, and the king said, look, anything you want, I'll give it to you up to half the kingdom, the same language. And... Herodias told her daughter, she said, ask for John the Baptist's head. And indeed she did. And as much as the king did not want to, the, John the Baptist was killed because of that request. That's another example of the, of the king using that kind of language. Now, he may have intended to give her the whole kingdom, but the point is this, or half the kingdom. The point is this, though. She had the king's ear, and she could have requested anything, and the king was probably going to do it. Now, Queen Esther could have... Spilled the beans right there and said, hey, let me tell you what's going on. Haman has come up with this evil plan, and you need to stop it. But the queen was, was smart. She had a little bit of a plan. 
a plan that was going to take a couple of days to unfold, a little bit of time to unfold, but she had a plan in place. And so of all the things she could have requested when the king said, what do you want? She said, I want you to come to, come to a banquet at my house. And I want it to be just you and Haman. I want you to bring Haman with you. So the king said, you got it. Send word. Bring Haman. We've got to go. The queen wants to put on this, this, this banquet for us, this feast for us, and she wants us to come. So let us do as the king has requested. Verse 6. While drinking the wine, the king asked Esther, Whatever you ask will be given to you. Whatever you want, even to half the kingdom, will be done. Esther answered, This is my petition and my request. If the king approves of me, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and perform my request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet I will prepare for them tomorrow. I will do what the king has asked. All right, so they come to this banquet. Everything's good. King's drinking, eating, everybody's happy. Haman's no doubt happy to be there with the king and the queen. And the king says again, what do you want, Esther? What can I do for you? And she says, all right, if you and Haman will come back tomorrow again, then I'll answer your question. Then I'll tell you what I want. Then I'll tell you what you can do for me. So everything is beginning to fall into place. And now Esther is kind of becoming the key character in the story. We've, we've seen kind of this shift. Uh, King Ahasuerus has kind of been one of, the, one of the main key figures up to this point, but now we're seeing a shift from the king to the queen, and now Esther from this point forward is going to be the main character. She's going to take charge of this situation and everything that is about to take place. Let's read a little further. Verse 9. That day Haman left full of joy and in good spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate, and Mordecai didn't rise or tremble in fear at his presence, Haman was filled with rage toward Mordecai. Now here, here was Haman, a guy that the king had put into a, to a high position of power. Everything was going very well for Haman. And even Haman thought the same thing. I mean, the king had put him in this position, and now the queen is calling for this special banquet that only he and the king is there for. What a great thing for Haman. His life was going very well. But even in the midst of his life going well, and everything going good for him, he still was filled with rage. Because when he left, there he saw old Mordecai. And Mordecai would not honor Haman. He would not bow to Haman. And this infuriated Haman. As good as he had it, as good as things were going, he could have just said, you know, my life is good. I'm just going to enjoy life, and I'm not going to worry about Mordecai. But he let his anger and he let his rage get the best of him. He let his anger and he let his rage ruin his life. And you know, the same thing can happen to us if we don't keep our anger and rage in check. Perhaps our life is pretty good and things are going well for us, but is there a person in your life who is your Mordecai? That person that when you see, you just, you just get angry. It just gets you outraged. You hate them. 
You can't stand to be around them. You don't want to see them. You want to see bad things happen to them. We shouldn't be that way, but maybe if we're honest, maybe there's a Mordecai in our life. And instead of being content and enjoying life and doing the best we can, we can't. We're so angry and bitter, we let that control our life. And that's what happened to Haman. He was so angry at Mordecai. But, but he kept himself in check. It says in the next verse, verse 10, yet Haman controlled himself and went home. He sent for his friends and his wife, Zeresh, to join him. Then Haman described for them his glorious wealth and his many sons. He told them all how the king had honored him and promoted him in rank over all the other officials and royal staff. What's more, Haman added, Queen Esther invited no one but me to join the king at the banquet she had prepared. I am invited again tomorrow to join her with the king. So Haman, as mad as he is about Mordecai, he goes on home, he goes on about his way, and once he gets there with his wife and his friends, he begins to boast. Look at how great I am. Let me tell you of my power and of my wealth and of, of, of the greatness of my family. The king has chosen me. And not only the king, but also the queen has chosen me. Now, Haman had it pretty good. He should have left well enough alone. But sometimes even when we have it pretty good, sin can find its way into our life in some way, shape, or form. In times that we should be content, sin has a way of, 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 of squeezing its way into our life and taking a life that we should have that should be good because what God has blessed us with and we should be content, but yet somehow we give in to sin and we let it ruin what we have. A similar thing happened to David in the Old Testament. David, the king of Israel, that God had blessed greatly, could have had anything he wanted. But yet one day as he was on the palace, looking out across, he saw a lady bathing and said, who is that lady? I, I want her. And so David committed the sin of adultery. David slept with Bathsheba and she became pregnant. And David had done wrong in the eyes of God. And he sent Nathan to David. And he sent Nathan to tell David this story. He said, there's a story. There's, there's one guy that had everything. Had everything you could ever want. And there was another guy. All he had was one little lamb. And he loved that lamb. And he took care of that lamb. And, and that was his pride and joy. And that's all he had. And the guy that was rich, you know what he did? He went and he took that poor guy's lamb. That's the story that Nathan told David. And he said, what do you think should happen to that guy who had everything and took from the guy who had nothing? David said, that guy should be punished for what he had done. And Nathan said, David, you are that man. David had everything. And God would have given him more if he would have asked. But David saw Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, just a normal guy who loved and cherished his wife, who didn't have much. And David took that from him and had Uriah killed to cover up his sin. 
And so whether it's the story of Haman, or whether it's the story of David, or whether it's your story, sometimes we have things so good, but instead of being content with what we have, we let our desires get the best of us. We let our anger get the best of us. There's a good lesson for us to learn from stories like this story and like that of David. And Haman is as proud and boastful as he can be over his new position of power, over what he has, and oh, as he, as he think he is something else because he's going to be eating with just the king and just the queen. Continuing on in verse 13. Still none of this satisfies me since I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate all the time. His wife Zeresh and all his friends told him, Have them build a gallows 75 feet high. Ask the king in the morning to hang Mordecai on it. Then go to the banquet with the king and enjoy yourself. The advice pleased Haman, so he had the gallows constructed. So Haman goes through and he boasts about how great his life is and how good it is. But still, nothing satisfied him because he had to see Mordecai. And so his wife and his friends give him a horrible advice, which is a good lesson for us to learn. Don't stoke the fire. We may do it. We have people we love and somebody hurts them, and what kind of advice do we give them? You show them what's right. You get back at them. You tell them what's what. Here, we'll go over there and we'll do something to them. We'll do something that's going to hurt them. We'll spread gossip about them. Here's what we need to do. Be careful. Don't give advice like that. Don't stoke the fire. When you see people who are living in sin and angry and bitter, then maybe you need to tell them that's not the right way to be. That's not how God calls us to act. But it's easy, right? In the moment, we kind of get caught up in that. We kind of get caught up in that excitement and we give people the advice that they want to hear. We spur them on to do things that they shouldn't do. Well, that's what happened to Haman's wife and friends. That's what they did to him. They said, hey, you're a man of power. Don't let this little peon Mordecai bother you. Why don't you do something about it? Why don't you do something big about it? Why don't you build a gallows 75 feet high and you can put Haman to death on that? I mean, Mordecai to death on that. Of course, when Haman heard this idea, he said, boy, this is, sounds good to me. So he had the gallows built. Now, when we talk about a gallows, uh, some would say it may be a, a, a big, tall stake, but I think it's probably more like what we think about when we think about hanging people. That, that's probably the best way for us to envision it. Perhaps they built some really tall platform, 75 feet into the air, and the intention was clear. They were going to hang Mordecai from this gallows. Haman was going to make an example of Mordecai. I am Haman. I have been chosen by the king. I have power. I have wealth. I have been invited to eat with the king and queen two times. How dare you, Mordecai, ruin my life, I will show you. I will end your life, I will end your people's life, and I will do so in such a way that it is a spectacle. That everybody sees you don't mess with Haman. 
And if you mess with Haman, you pay the price. Now it's pretty clear one sin that Haman was struggling with here, and that was the sin of pride. He had been boasting in himself, he was boasting in his power, and he was going to make that power known to Mordecai and to all others. Let us be careful that we do not fall into that trap because it's very easy if we get a little bit of power and a little bit of wealth and a little bit of control that we begin to think too highly of ourselves. And it doesn't matter how much power you get. You may, you may be the manager at the gas station or you may be the president of the United States. It doesn't take much power. But oftentimes people get a little bit of power and a little bit of control and a little bit of wealth and their chest begins to puff. And they begin to say, look at me. Look at my authority. Don't you dare come against me or I will make you pay the price. Be careful that we do not fall into that trap because the proverb says pride comes before a fall. And you probably know that from experience. Chances are we've probably all had times that we thought a little too highly of ourselves, and God brought us down to earth. And those are not good times. And sometimes God has to do that. The story of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4 is a great example of that. He was insane for a long period of time. God said, look, I'm going to let this happen to you. This sentence is going to be passed on you because of your arrogance. And, and Nebuchadnezzar walked around on his palace and he looked at Babylon and he said, look at what I have made. Look at what my power has done. And all of this for my glory. And while the words were in his mouth, a voice came and said, you are about to be sentenced to punishment, Nebuchadnezzar, because you ain't done nothing. All that you have is because of God. You think you're somebody, I will show you just what you are. And Nebuchadnezzar lived like a wild animal until, the text says, until he acknowledged God, until he repented and said, God, you are the Most High. God, you are the ruler over everything. God, you give everything to people as you see fit. And nobody has anything but what you give them. And Nebuchadnezzar said, and God even knows how to humble the proud. That's a tough prayer to pray right there. We want humility, right? So we pray, God, give me humility. But the way we get humility is by going through hard times. So that's a super scary prayer to pray. But, but that's what God wants. He wants us to be humble. He does not want us to be like Haman. And Haman was as proud as they come. I don't know if you can measure a man's pride in feet. But if we could measure Haman's pride in feet, it would probably be about 75 feet the distance of the gallows that he had built. What about your pride? Are you walking proudly today? Are you thinking too highly of yourself? Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. But we got to be on guard because the devil can always use that to tempt us. We do something good, right? We get a pat on the back. And it's easy for us to say, yeah, I really am pretty awesome. I really am so much smarter than everybody else. I have gained this wealth because of my greatness. No one can compare to me. It's, 
That temptation will come. We've got to say, all right, I ain't giving in to that. I'm not doing that. But if we don't keep our pride in check, if we don't keep our anger in check, we will be like Haman. So what do we do? Well, if our situation is like Haman, and there's somebody who is our enemy, like Mordecai was to Haman, I'm going to tell you what to do today. If you've got somebody in your life who is an enemy to you, then you need to treat them like your enemy. And some of you are saying, all right, that's what I've been wanting to hear. But how does the Bible tell us to treat our enemies? You want to know how to treat your enemy like an enemy? Well, Jesus tells us. You see, the people of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, if they would have heard a statement like that, they would have said, yes, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, right? Because we got people that are doing us wrong and we want to stick it to them. Treat my enemy like my enemy, I'll make them pay. But Jesus addressed that early on in his ministry. He said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus says, I'm telling you to do something different for your enemies. Proverbs 24, 17 says, don't rejoice when your enemy falls. That's what we want, right? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We want to see them fall and we want to gloat in that. We want to go by our enemies in their hard times and we want to be kind of passive aggressive and we want to give them a little, a, little, a little nudge, a little poke, a little prod because of where they are and let them know that they're getting what they deserve even if we don't say those words. That's what we want to do. That's our, that's our natural inclination. That's the temptation the devil puts on us. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And, 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 and rejoice when your enemy is going through hard times because that's what they deserve. But let us not forget those words of Romans. While we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. What if God would have did that to us? What if God would have said... This is the standard which I will set for you. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. This is the standard which I set. You are sinful, you are evil, you have sinned against me, and therefore I will make you suffer without any chance of forgiveness. But God did not do that, praise the Lord. He looked at us in our sinfulness, in our anger, and in our pride, and he said, even though you are my enemies, I desire to make you my friend. And while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, God reconciled us to him through Jesus Christ if you put your faith and trust in him today. And so what do we do for our enemies? We do the same. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus tells us to Love our enemies. Again, in that same verse, he says, pray for your enemies. In Proverbs chapter 25, 21, it says to give our enemies food and water. So if you've got enemies in your life, treat them like Jesus tells us to treat our enemies. And that will require much prayer. That will require much trust in the Lord because that is not an easy thing to do. But we must so that we don't become like Haman did. So that we're not overrun by our anger 
and that we're not overrun by our pride, but that we humble ourselves before the Lord and say, God, I am nothing but a sinner. God, I'm, I feel worthless, but God, I know I'm worth something in your sight because you sent Jesus Christ to die for me. So let me humble myself before the cross of Jesus Christ, the very cross that Jesus Christ humbled himself to die on. There is no forgiveness except for in Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're living in pride today and you've never humbled yourself and you've never put your faith in Jesus. I hope today that you would. Maybe the Holy Spirit's convicting you. Maybe you know today that you're you need to say, look, I'm, I'm not in control of my life. God, I'm not going to live my life anymore. God, I'm going to give it to you. God, Jesus gave his life for me, and I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And I hope today that you do that. I hope today that if you're living in pride, you'll humble yourself before the cross of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. We thank you for these good words. This is... This is serious stuff, dear Lord. It's heavy stuff. It's stuff that we struggle with, God. It's so easy to be proud. It's so easy to boast. It's so easy to be angry. But God, we got plenty of examples in Scripture to let us see that that's, that's not a good place to be. It's got bad results, dear Lord. And so, God, I pray that you would help us not to live in our pride, but to humble ourselves before you. God, if there's one in this room today that has not put their faith in Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just, would just convict them right now, that they would come to you, that they would open their heart, that they would just repent, dear Lord, that they would turn from their sins, that they would put their faith in Jesus and acknowledge that he's the Savior, that God, in their heart right now, maybe even speaking it silently, they ask you to forgive them. They ask Jesus to be their Lord and Savior and they give your, their life to you so that they, God, stop living for themselves. God, help us not to live for ourselves. Even those who are yours, dear Lord, sometimes are tempted in that way. So God, I pray that today that we would just lay down our pride, that we would lay down our anger, that we would learn your humility, that we'd learn the humility of Jesus Christ, and that we would learn through Jesus Christ how to treat people, even those who treat us wrong, so that we're not overtaken by sin. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.